Hello, this is Ryan Hader sharing my thoughts on MC 782 Assignment 7B regarding Chapter 4, the three management levels of strategic communications in our textbook Principles of Strategic Communications, and Rickard Anderson's research on employee communication responsibility. I have to admit, I was a little confused by the introductory video for this week's assignment and couldn't begin to grasp what we were supposed to do until about 10 minutes in, and even then I was left scratching my head. Furthermore, Anderson's research didn't do it for me. I didn't find anything to be revealing or that interesting. As strategic communications leaders, our role is to take disparate, seemingly complicated messages, cut through the noise, find the meat of the story, translate it into consumable bits that humans will understand, determine the best ways to communicate those messages, deliver them, and inspire our stakeholders to participate. In this case, the focus is on employee communication responsibility. Anderson states that his research shows that employee communication is a complex issue. I disagree. None of the factors are complex. I think that Anderson is complicating rather basic issues that not only relate to business but are relevant to every relationship. His study finds true four hypotheses. One, employees who perceive the internal communications client as open are more likely to take communication responsibility. Number two, employees who have a positive attitude towards the immediate supervisor communication are more likely to take communication responsibility. Number three, employees who have a positive attitude towards top management, employee communication, are more likely to take communication responsibility. And finally, hypothesis number four, Employees who perceive communication to be important for individual and organizational success are more likely to take communication responsibility. I think Anderson states the obvious here, and of course these relationships are not by chance. His findings apply to all relationships, friends, family, peers, and employees. If you make them aware through open communication, include them in the conversation so they feel engaged and heard, and you inspire them through your actions, they will in all likelihood become better brand ambassadors for you on a personal level or for a business. I think this directly relates to the leadership styles that we have read about in PSC and significantly is impacted through the emotional intelligence of leaders that we discussed in week one. Maybe my opinion is based on the fact that I have worked the streets for 30 years and have experience with so many organizations that do these things poorly and others that do it well. I'm not claiming to be the authority on this, as this class has taught me that I have a lot to learn, but Anderson's not-so-profound findings are what I have been doing in my career for years, and I imagine many of my peers in this class can say the same thing. It's fundamental stuff. While I don't find Anderson's research to be that interesting, he does offer some thought-provoking perspectives. As an old-school communicator, I have always worked in a linear communications model where the goal is to control the messages by controlling the messengers. In the past, when I would assist employers or clients with internal communications initiatives, whether it was a global project for Starbucks or on the opposite end of the spectrum for a startup millennial B Corp, I would always approach it as the organization speaking to the employees. Anderson and PSC have both helped change my perspective on this to one where I now fully recognize that we need to speak with employees in order to accomplish successful employee communication responsibility. It's not about the communicative entity spitting out messages to its employees, hoping that they will engage. It is about including employees in the creation of the messages. I think I may have unintentionally practiced this throughout the years just due to my management style, where I surround myself with people who are smarter than me and incorporate their ideas into the the strategies that I produce. But I have not thought about creating a formalized employee communication responsibility strategy. 
I do agree with Anderson that all organizations need to consider this, and I plan to make it a part of all my proposals moving forward. Employees are indeed brand ambassadors, not minions. For example, I'm heading to Germany and Austria on Saturday for a couple of weeks to meet with my client, Jack Wolfskin. It's a 40-year-old German-based outdoor apparel brand similar to the North Face that dominates the Central and Western European markets. Their new CEO is a friend of mine who has asked me to help drive a global rebranding project and develop a strategic communications plan to ensure that all markets are sharing somewhat similar information. It's a multi-divisional structured company, and currently they have substantial subsidiaries and distributors in Russia, China, Japan, Eastern Europe, and North America, but no one is on the same page. I have spent the past six months speaking with the leadership team, department heads, and employees to analyze the current state of the organization. What I have found is that employees are scared. They don't understand what is happening, and they don't feel included in the process. Organizational change is scary. It's messy and never easy and feels impossible unless you have been through it a few times. My career has been a constant flow of managing communications around organizational change, so this is my comfort zone. While Jack Wolfskin hired me to create a plan that will reach end consumers who buy Jack Wolfskin products, my vision for the plan has changed to one where we need to address employee communication responsibility first and foremost. While I intend to pursue social media, events, paid media, and traditional earned media to push out the branding message to consumers, I now am going to include executive communications, educational video productions, and employee events as part of the strategic communications plan. Without the participation of our top brand ambassadors, the employees, an external plan won't be nearly as successful no matter how strategy, what strategy we build into it. The whole internal-external strategic communications process has become more difficult over the past decade or so due to the advent of social media and the proliferation of media fragmentation. We simply can't control the messages like we used to. This has been a difficult transition for me as my entire career has been based on controlling the message. That's just not possible anymore. I've always used rational decision-making to get buy-in and pursued group decision-making to initiate sell-through. It was simple. Now that garbage can decision-making is the norm, I have had to retrain my brain to accept imperfections and just let some things go. By the way, I love the term garbage can decision-making, and I'm going to include that in all future strategic communication discussions with my clients because they, too, have to recognize that we simply can't control everything. But what we can do is consistently deliver honest, authentic, engaging messages and stay true to ourselves, as that is the only way to win in the current environment. This will be a fun conversation with Jack Wolfskin next week. As I mentioned, Jack Wolfskin is a multi-divisional structured company. I have worked as an in-house communicator and in an external agency capacity with dozens of these types of organizations in tech, energy, lifestyle, and design sectors over the years, from Hallmark and Microsoft and Sony to Converse Footwear. What I have found is that as they grow, internal redundancies and inefficiencies flourish, thus affecting morale and the bottom line. What I am now learning is that universities are often worst-case scenarios when it comes to this. There are a lot of smart people who aren't great at communicating with each other. I have particular concerns regarding the merger of communication studies with JMC, as a lot needs to be accomplished within a short window of time. As a strategic communicator, I have felt at times underappreciated within multidivisional organizations, though I can personally attest that our roles in streaming communications streamlining communications processes and engaging both internal and external stakeholders is paramount to running a successful operation, even more so today, considering that we have less control over the messages. One thing I know about myself is at this point in my career, I don't operate as well within a multidivisional structure. It's slow and cumbersome. I have been 
practicing a network organizational structure through my former agency and now as a consultant for more than 20 years and firmly believe in the benefits. The primary benefits are that you can build a specific team based on project needs and rapidly scale up or down. The challenge for business owners that operated within this structure is to build a reliable network of your go-to people that are available for rapid response opportunities and will meet the demands of each project on deadline. That takes time and trial and error to build out but what is basically a virtual communications team that includes project managers, social media experts, content creators, SEO gurus, and many more roles that have to be filled. But it works, and it can save businesses a lot of money and time. No matter the structure, reputation management is a primary objective of any strategic communications plan. Since we no longer control what is being said about us, a good reputation is the one thing that can help keep an organization alive and thriving. I have had both good and bad experiences with this. A lot of it comes to the values and actions, good or bad, of the executive team, and how a company responds when executives make poor decisions, which happens all the time. I previously worked with an arrogant CEO that looked at his employees as lesser humans. He would show up unannounced to media and influencer parties I would throw in New York and fly in his girlfriends on his private jet while his wife and kids were at home. I was told to keep it hush-hush. His values obviously didn't align with mine, and it made it hard for me to work with him as I did not respect him. He never gained the trust of his employees due to his shady character, and over time, the value of the company dropped, and he was booted out. Alternatively, one of my favorite brands that I have worked with is Lululemon, a company that has received a few PR black eyes over the years over misguided comments by its founder, Chip Wilson, who eluded that the product wasn't made for all women's body types, or when the next CEO was fired for having an affair with a young employee and giving her preferential treatment. While I know Chip personally and think the media unfairly demonized him, his comments did not fit the values of the Lululemon brand, and he was removed. Lululemon does it right. The company is transparent. It focuses on community, inclusion, and healthy lifestyle. It practices employee communication responsibility. Its leadership team is held accountable, and they produce the best product. They continue to demonstrate that you can come through adversity with your brand intact and still prosper. So there you have it. Now, I'm sure that not everyone is going to agree with my opinions in this podcast, so I welcome all the comments so I may continue to grow. Thanks for listening.